Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm from a small Midwestern town and nothing like what I saw happens here, to my knowledge and is pretty much completely normal. This took place in the fall of my seventh grade, so around 2016. Even though it was a few years ago, I know that I saw something, but I'm not 100% sure what I saw. By the way, I'm telling this in first person simply because it's easier. My mom called up the stairs. I quickly went towards her voice as she began to explain, Your dad and I are heading out for the night. Do you mind walking the dog before we leave? I simply nodded in response, clipping in the dog's leash as she continued talking about what they were doing that night. It was a late November night, and the sun had already set. By the time my mom finished talking, the dog was clipped in and ready to go. I closed the front door and immediately felt chills not only from the temperature but the atmosphere. Not one person was out. It's not that late, is it? I said to myself, I had made it half a street when my dog stopped to sniff something on the ground. I looked out at the road ahead, nothing but houses and a one-stop sign. My brain immediately thought back to a dumb video my friend and I watched, trying to scare ourselves in class where, just like me, someone walking looks up at a stop sign to see a woman staring back at them, literally standing on the stop sign. 
I still couldn't shake a creepy feeling as I looked down the road. Then my heart stopped. I'll try my best to describe the horrifying sight I saw. Looking back at me was about an eight-nine-foot-tall shadowy figure. It was something humanoid with two legs, tall and skinny. The arms were even longer reaching the ground, but just as skinny. The body was slightly round, complete with a long skinny neck and no face. Once again I say no face. I was purely terrified. I pulled my dog to run, but she was frozen. I yelled out to her, making it hear then see me in the process. It began to follow us in what I can only call a drunk on a tightrope walk. In response, I ran, cutting through my neighbor's backyard in the process. I slipped and fell all while running on the muddy grass. I turned around, picking up my dog in one motion. It was even closer now. My head was pounding as I ran with tears in my eyes. Turning around, I fixed my grip on the dog and ran for my life. I opened my back door, throwing us inside. It's going to get me. I yell as my parents run to me. Thank God they hadn't left yet. Truly believing I was almost kidnapped, my dad ran outside. I sat for the next few minutes sobbing, trying to explain the events that just occurred to my mom. My dad walked in through the back door and simply said there's no one. Ever since that day, I've had terrible problems with anxiety and depression. To be fair, it could have nothing to do with what I saw, but I have to think that a small part of it was from the pure terror I saw that day. I'm not a hunter, but I do live in Colorado and frequent the mountains often. My first scary thing was my friend and I were going to an off-road spot and it was a two-day trip. We took my truck, which doesn't have a camper. Anyway, we pull off the main road to an outcropping that was a pull-off area next to a river and bust out some beers, a little grill, and just kick back for a bit. Once we got done eating, I kept hearing this growling noise across the stream. I asked my buddy about it, and he wrote it off like I was nuts. We start unpacking the tent and put it together, and sure enough, the growling gets louder and two glowing eyes are pacing the bank in front of us. He notices it. We both freak out and throw the tent, complete and all in the truck, and bail out. We ended up sleeping in the back of the truck about two miles away, totally freaked out. Different time when I was younger, we went to Apex Road. It was my first time there, and what's common for everyone else freaked me out. There's a 40-ish foot steel cross erected that looks like it was made out of leftover metal. There's an abandoned mine shaft and also an old abandoned school that, when we inspected it at dusk, it whispering sounds come from it. That was nutty. Now, keep in mind, this stuff was easily a hundred years old, but in order to get to the top of it, you need four-wheel drive, and there's eight or nine switchbacks that are scary as F. It blows my mind someone settled up there at one point. So I live in a really small town and in Washington State. That means super high grocery prices at a small town grocery store. So I hardly ever visit this place and do most of my shopping 20 miles away in town. I only shop there when I don't really feel like driving all the way in town for just a few items or need it ASAP. The store I went to recently had self-serve registers installed. And, of course, cameras go along with it that watch each and every item that you scan. 
There are four registers, and all are watched by one employee. Got up to the register with three items in hand and my 15-year-old daughter behind me who was not carrying anything. I put the three items onto the counter and scanned one by one. Once I was done, I tried to pay, but the register was going off saying that I needed help. Okay, weight was off on one item. I was thinking. Employee comes up and sees that there are five items on my list, but only three in the bagging area. She asks me, where are the other two items? I told her I only came up with three items to begin with, and she watched me scan all of them, so I don't know what other two items she was talking about. My daughter also said she only saw me scan three items. All different. So here is the weird part. The cashier played back the video from the camera above the register, and sure enough, there were two items being scanned by me in the video that I never even showed up with. Clear as day. These were high-definition cameras, and the items were a pack of paper towels and a candy bar. The three items I came up with were milk, sour cream, and ice cream. The cashier freaked out, and of course so did I, because there is no doubt it was me and the camera because of the clothes, my bald spot, and my daughter right next to me. This gave me chills, seeing myself on the camera, scanning something that I didn't even bring up to the registers. Cashier told me to just pay and get out of the store. This was about two years ago. To this day, I am still confused as hell. As to how this happened, I am a skeptic of anything paranormal and or unexplained and can usually debunk most things, but damn, this even has me stumped hardcore. This happened to me a good 23 years ago, but it is stuck in my mind clear as day. I was working in one of my first proper jobs in an office as a receptionist. I picked up a phone at one point, intending to dial out, and I heard people speaking. I sort of just froze at first, part surprise and part curiosity, I guess. This was the conversation snippet I heard. Man, it happens sometimes when you dial nine to get an outside line. Woman, yeah. I hung up then because I assumed I'd forgotten to cut off my end of the call when transferring one or had somehow accidentally dialed in. Anyway, later that day, I went to make an external call and pressed nine to get an outside line. I must have pressed it more than once because before I knew it, 999, what is your emergency? Came through. In a panic, I hung up. The phone rang a few minutes later. It was the call handler, a man asking if everything was okay and why 999 had been called and hung up on. I explained to him, I didn't mean to call and I kid you not a word, for word repeat of what was said above happened and in that moment I realized that the woman on the phone was me and this was the phone call I'd just heard on picking up the phone. I'm a skeptic with a lot of this sort of stuff, but to this day I have not been able to rationalize it away. I was sober, wider awake at work, and it definitely happened. Thoughts. There's an abandoned house in rural North Georgia where my dad lives that you can walk to from his house. All you can see from the road is about seven feet of an indent of what used to be a driveway. It's all overgrown. You have to crawl through woods to get to the house. So I had been in this house a lot took a lot of old books, newspapers from the 60s and 70s, 
Letters from whatever war. Really cool stuff. In the kitchen, there were also pill bottles with current dates. One time, and the last time, I went with a friend. We were crawling through the woods to the front door. I was ahead of my friend, and ahead of me I hear the creak of the front door opening about five feet in front of me. I turned around, and we goddamn bolted as fast as I have ever bolted. Another time I was driving through Bum F. Mid, Georgia. What 85 used to be before the highway was actually there. About every half hour was a town, maybe one stoplight, every 20 miles. So me and an ex were driving through a tiny podunk little town, and I look off to the left at the buildings that were closed. It was the summer, and it was now twilight, so probably like 8 p.m., and I see a building that used to be a ranch house, but it had two glass doors in front like a convenience store. Through the glass, I saw a woman in an all-white dress robe just standing there in the dark. I followed her as my ex drove the car past, and she never moved, turned her eyes, head, or anything. I still don't know what the hell that was about. The air was thick with humidity as our hunting expedition delved deeper into the heart of the remote jungle. I was part of a small group of experienced hunters, led by our fearless guide, Powell. The anticipation of the hunt filled the air as we ventured into uncharted territory, eager to explore the untouched wilderness and to prove ourselves as skilled hunters. Our journey had taken us far from civilization, into a dense jungle that seemed to close in around us with each step. The foliage was impenetrable and the wildlife had grown wild and untamed, presenting a challenge we hadn't expected. But we were determined, fueled by the thrill of the hunt and the prospect of rare trophies to bring home. As the days passed, we followed Paolo's guidance, trekking through treacherous terrain and tracking elusive prey. We shared stories around the campfire, laughter echoing through the forest and reveled in the camaraderie that only a hunting expedition could provide. It was on the fourth day of our journey that our expedition took a sinister turn. We were deep within the jungle, miles away from any signs of human presence, when we stumbled upon something that defied belief. A hidden tribe, rumored to be extinct. The sight before us was like something out of a documentary, but this was very real. The tribe was small, numbering no more than twenty people, and they appeared to live in harmony with the jungle. Their huts were woven from leaves and vines, and they moved gracefully through the forest. Their bodies painted with intricate patterns and adorned with feathers and bones. We watched in awe from a hidden vantage point, unsure of whether to approach or observe from a distance. But our curiosity got the better of us, and we decided to cautiously introduce ourselves to these seemingly isolated people. Paolo, who had experience with indigenous tribes, led the way. As we approached the tribe's camp, we were met with a mixture of curiosity and caution. The tribespeople, who had likely never seen outsiders, eyed us warily, but didn't display any over-hostility. Our attempts at communication were initially met with confusion, as their language was unlike any we had encountered before. Paolo, with his knowledge of indigenous cultures, managed to convey our peaceful intentions through a combination of hand gestures and rudimentary words. Slowly but surely, a tentative connection was established. We shared gifts such as knives and trinkets, to foster goodwill. As we spent more time with the tribe, we learned about their way of life, 
their customs, and their beliefs. However, it soon became apparent that the tribe harbored a dark secret, one that would put our lives in jeopardy. As night fell and we were invited to join them for a communal meal, we noticed strange and unsettling occurrences. First, it was the unsettling chants that echoed through the camp. The tribe's people gathered around a fire, their eyes gleaming with an eerie fervor. They chanted in a language that was incomprehensible to us, their voices rising and falling in a hypnotic rhythm. Then there were the totems scattered throughout the camp. Bizarre sculptures made of bones and feathers, grotesque in their design. Paulo recognized some of the symbols as belonging to a long-forgotten and feared cult, rumored to have practiced dark rituals involving human sacrifices. As our unease grew, we decided to withdraw from the camp and return to our makeshift campsite, eager to distance ourselves from whatever dark secrets the tribe held. But it was too late. The tribe's people had become increasingly agitated, their eyes filled with a malevolent gleam. That night, as we huddled together by our campfire, the jungle seemed to come alive with eerie sounds. Whispers carried on the wind, and we heard the distant beat of drums growing louder with each passing moment. The tribe's people had discovered our departure, and they were coming for us. They moved with stealthy precision, their bodies painted in warlike patterns, their eyes filled with an unholy fervor. We had become the prey in this sinister jungle, hunted by those we had sought to befriend. Our knowledge of the terrain and our firearms would offer little protection against the darkness that closed in around us. As the drums drew nearer, we knew that our only chance for survival was to escape deeper into the jungle, to evade the tribespeople and their malevolent intentions. With fear and adrenaline coursing through our veins, we left our camp behind and vanished into the unforgiving wilderness. The jungle swallowed us whole, and the pursuit continued through the long and harrowing night. We navigated treacherous terrain, our senses heightened to the danger that lurked around every corner. Our hunters had become the hunted. The sinister secret of the hidden tribe had transformed our hunting expedition into a desperate struggle for survival. In the heart of the remote jungle, where darkness and danger reigned, we would need all our wits and courage to make it out alive. Camping at a ghost town in eastern Washington years ago. Friends and I set up camp, got a fire started, and started making dinner. A few hours later, and quite a few drinks, we decided it was best to go explore this place. We heard the typical sounds the woods make at night. Nothing out of the ordinary. We went about a mile from our campsite, and we got this odd, cold chill. Just shrugged it off as it getting colder or the alcohol. We began hearing more, louder sounds coming from the woods. About the same time, we noticed what looked like two red eyes staring at us from about 50 feet away and about 25 feet in a tree. No idea what it was, but it was big, ran faster than I ever have in my life back to the site with my group. I am from the Northern Cheyenne Reservation. I live in Ashland, about 20 miles from Lame Deer. I have heard stories of the area around the grandmother's home. 
I have personally been witness to a deerman. It was about 2002. I was hunting on the big divide between Ashland and Lame Deer. I was glassing with my binoculars, hoping to find a deer shoot for one of the elders. I spotted what I thought was a white-tailed buck. It was standing in a brush patch about 200 yards in a draw below me. As I was watching the buck through my binoculars, the body started to become clearer. It was a deer head on a muscular man's body. Needless to say, I hurried and got out of the area and didn't go back for quite a Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. A while. I have heard many stories of little men, but my only experience with them wasn't a full-fledged sighting. It was in 1997. I was house, sitting for my parents while they were away one weekend. I was sitting in the living room. One afternoon, watching television, when I caught a glimpse of something out of the corner of my eye, I turned toward the dining room window. I saw what looked like the top of a head popping into view at the base of the window. It looked like someone was jumping up, trying to look into the window. I watched whatever it was for a good half a dozen jumps when I rushed over and looked out the window to see who it was. There was no one there. I immediately went outside and looked. I could not see anyone. My parents' house was in a rural area with not many trees or bushes. I should have seen who it was if it was a kid. Whatever it was, I estimate it had to be about three feet tall if it jumped up and only the top of its head showed over the windowsill when it jumped. A close friend also had encounters with a little woman near her house. She would hang laundry in her backyard. Then, when she went back outside to take the laundry down, some of the clothes and sheets were on the ground or missing. This occurred several times until she finally saw the little woman running through the yard at night. She believes that the little people on the reservation are invisible during the day, she described the little woman as being two half feet tall, brown, skinned, and wearing a long, colorful shawl around her. There are a lot of strange sightings and counters on this reservation. 
My first experience with Sasquatch was when I was living in Wyoming, Michigan. I was eight years old. It was the last day of school, and I decided to cut across the plowed fields to get home and save about 20 minutes. None of the other kids wanted to come with me, so I headed off towards home. I'd always sing as I walk and not go into any depth. I learned how to mind speak at a very young age. As I was walking, I saw an old red truck facing me sitting to my right, out where the two fields met. The wheels were gone, as were all the chrome, windows, and lights. The passenger door was closed and the driver's door open about halfway. I looked at it and saw no one and walked around the back of it, not looking at it as I passed. He must have been laying in the cab and heard my singing. I got about twenty feet past it and heard in mind speak. What are you doing here? Like you would say if you locked up the dog and then found it sitting on your porch a few hours later. At that point in my life, all I knew was mind speaks with angels, and so I thought you must be friendly, and I turned around. I saw what I thought was a friend of my best friend's brother's. I didn't question why he could mind speak, because I figured everyone could if they wanted to. I started walking toward the truck. He leaned forward out of the driver's door window area as I walked. I asked, What's your name? Then I heard something like the word Cain. I walked within a few feet of him, and he leaned out further. He was looking down just a bit, and I was looking up. I would say he was at my ten o'clock. We just stared at each other. His skin was like my mom's kid gloves. It was much thicker looking than mine. He did have freckles and red hair. His nose looked like my brother's, which had been broken so many from so many fights that even after surgical repair looked flattened and broad. He had finished lips and teeth like ours. His eyes were golden brown and, to me, showed expression. I got the distinct impression that he was young, late teens. As we stared at each other, I started asking questions. Please remember, I was only eight years old. I first asked him in mind speak, how come your parents let you grow your hair so long? He didn't answer, but I could see a smile coming across his face. And then I asked, Why are you allowed to go to school with a beard? Then, where's your neck? I can't see a neck. And with that, he broke into a smile. As I was going to ask another question, his attention was broken by something to his left. He looked back at me with a word expression and said, Go now. No power in the words. I turned and started walking away. I got to the hole in the hedge that separated the field from the street in a four-foot drop and turned around to wave goodbye. He had exited the truck and was standing on the other side of the cab. I was shocked that he was so tall. My dad and grandfather were six foot four inches. He was at least a foot or more taller. He was looking toward my right, but I could not see what was going on from the protection of the hedge. He was flailing his arms, and then he saw me standing there. He said, Go now. Don't come back. And I said, you're mean, but I didn't move. All of a sudden, I heard someone screaming and realized it was me. He had sent what I would call a cloud of fear at me, and my body reacted. I turned around. I jumped down the embankment through the hedge and ran down the street to my house. When I got home, I told my mom about what had happened and that he had red hair, and I told her his name was Kenny. She said she would find out who he belonged to. That meant his mom. 
so she could smack some sense into him. Well, two days later, my mom came home from the store and told me she stopped at both farms attached to the fields. Neither of them had a red-headed son. My mom claimed Chickasaw heritage. She followed native beliefs and told me that Kenny was a forest person living in the woods. I told her he was nice at first, but then told me not to come back. She said if he had told me not to go back, then respect his wishes and do not go back there. That was that. Until that point... I believe that he was just one of the boys that hung around with my friend's brothers, and I have to add he smelled. I would have told him he needed a bath. I was shocked about forest people, but I was pissed about not being able to go back to see him again. As years passed, I realized that he wasn't being mean. He was protecting me from whatever was coming from the woods. I got the impression that he was not where he was supposed to be, either. Shortly after that, we moved out of the state. This whole thing is like it happened yesterday. I can close my eyes and see them clearly, and it happened in 1950. Seven. The fields are all houses now. I haven't heard of this happening to anyone else, but I'm sure it has, and I'm including it, so they know they aren't alone. One life as a trucker is no easy feat. Endless hours spent on the road, far away from family and friends, navigating treacherous weather conditions, and facing the constant pressure of delivering goods on time. Yet, it's a life that I've come to embrace, finding solace in the freedom of the open road. My name is Carl, and I'm a professional trucker, hauling shipments of mail as a dedicated FedEx driver. One night, while traversing a lonely stretch of highway in the heartland of Oklahoma, I couldn't help but feel the weight of exhaustion settling into my bones. The clock had struck midnight, and the road ahead seemed to stretch on endlessly, its monotony broken only by the occasional flicker of my truck's headlight. As I continued my journey, my mind drifted into a state of mild delirium, trying to keep my focus sharp on the seemingly endless asphalt ribbon before me. That's when I noticed something strange in the distance, just at the periphery of my vision. My heart quickened with intrigue, and I leaned forward, squinting through the windshield to get a better look. There, on the side of the road, near the edge of a dense woodland, stood an enigmatic creature. The sight was so surreal that I couldn't believe my tired eyes. Its face was completely covered in thick brown fur, giving it an uncanny resemblance to the backside of a bear. Yet... Something about it seemed off. A hint of a mouth was visible from the distance, just enough to distinguish it from a common animal. The creature turned slightly, and that's when I gasped in amazement and bewilderment. The profile of its head revealed a distinctive dome-shaped skull with a sloping forehead reminiscent of gorillas or the elusive Bigfoot. The camera mounted on my dashboard captured the unsteady footage, proof that I wasn't hallucinating in my exhaustion. Strangest of all, the creature seemed to shy in the bright yellow light of my truck's headlights, creating an almost ethereal aura around it. It was as if it existed on the cusp of reality, caught between the known and the unknown. As I approached the creature with both fear and curiosity, it made an abrupt movement, vanishing into the depths of the woods. My heart pounded in my chest and I pulled the truck to a halt. My mind raced with a whirlwind of emotions, Awe, excitement, confusion, and doubt. No one will believe this, 
I whispered to myself, staring at the dark expanse of the woods where the creature had disappeared. The encounter left me with more questions than answers, and I knew that recounting this experience to anyone would likely earn me skeptical looks and amused glances. But this is true story. Do with it what you want. Twenty fourteen, the island of Oahu High. I'm a soldier in the United States Army and was assigned as an assistant instructor to the pilot. First, Jungle Operations Training Center at Schofield Barracks. I had only about a month on the island and was loving every minute of it, so the day comes to train a platoon that I would be assessing and instructing in the Kahuku Mountains. We meet up, I teach them the essentials, and a week or two later we move out into the thick jungle of the Kahukus. Now, for anyone that hasn't been to the north shore of Hawaii, the Kahuku Mountains are tall and seem very manageable. However, up close and personal, the trails weaving through the ridges are narrow and can wash out at any time if you're carrying a heavy load. In a nutshell, you have to watch yourself and always have good footing or you'll fall down a steep draw and die. So the third night of the OP rolls around and everyone is in position guard, observing and bedding down as the sun sets. We are all scouts, so we go into areas ahead of the main fighting force and try to observe any enemy activity. There wasn't any opposing force during our mission, so the platoon was basically just out by themselves. It's about one, and I decide to get up and check on the security positions at each end of the trail we were sleeping on. I checked the forward security element. Some private with a machine gun was guarding vigorously and smoking a cigarette under his poncho. Great. Walking towards the rear security element, I notice something flickering that looks as if it's a few meters past the fighting position, likely a soldier lighting up a cigarette. I walk behind the soldier and then tap his heel. No response. So I assume he's asleep and shake him a bit. Still nothing. I then lean down to wake him up and he whispers, don't move. I freeze. Look at the orientation of his weapon and notice what looks like lights about shoulder height moving through the trees about 100 meters from us, heading from right to left. I tell him to get on the radio and call the other platoons behind our positions to see if they had an emergency or anything like that. He grabs the hand that squeezes the button and the screen on the radio starts to flicker and won't transmit. We turn it off then back on with the same results. We grab a new battery and jam it into the radio as fast as possible. The screen says solid, but now has the words out on the screen. I'd never see that before. I thought to myself, so I grabbed my Motorola and called to another assistant, White 4. White 3, do you have anyone in your area with white lights on? He responded, saying negative they haven't used lights all night. I then asked, do you observe any white light to the northeast? A very firm negative came from that end, as he was probably trying to trail off to sleep. As I turned my radio off, we heard what sounds like a manic laugh, followed by a scream. Everyone is now awake and whispering, what the F is that? The lights begin to trail off down the mountainside, out of our sight, and even though it was enough commotion to wake the platoon up, everyone eventually fell back asleep. The platoon leader and I agreed that it wasn't safe to maneuver at night, so we would send a section to check it out in the morning. Seven. I'm awake, I grab three dudes and tell the plu that we will be making an admin move to where we saw the lights to make sure nothing crazy happened that night. 
Walking through the ferns about 30 meters in, I catch myself by gripping a small guava berry tree. I almost fell down about 300 meters into a huge valley. The area that we were observing earlier that morning was in that direction, but there was no way they were that close. I felt very uneasy and had the urge to tell the Joes to get the hell out of there fast. We talked about it and chalked it up to island spirits. Later that month, I told the story to a friend at a bar in Holloway. Well, the bartender overheard the story and said that I had experienced what is known as the Night Marchers. When I was in college, I got a job as summer security in a ghost town to keep punks from vandalizing it. I had no idea why they even cared. It wasn't a tourist destination or anything, but I digress. There were three guys total that did it. Two were old-timers who had been working there for a while. And because they were old, they wanted more time away, so we'd switch off every two weeks. The only building that had power in the town was the guardhouse which was on the south side of the dozen or so buildings that made up the place. And it was probably the dullest job I've ever had. It was too far from the nearest non-ghost town to pick up any TV signal. This was in a time of dial-up internet, so even if it was a thing I was worried about, it didn't exist in this town, and other than a golf cart, the only thing I had to entertain myself with was an old pinball table. One evening, I'm standing there playing pinball when I look out the window to my side and see a light on in one of the other buildings. The window is lit up bright, and as I said, I'm in the only building that's even wired for electricity. I quickly stop my probably record game and grab the nightstick and flashlight I was given and head over there. But as I get closer, I notice the light is dimmer and almost purpley red. Now I'm kind of freaked out, and I stand there to watch it. As I stand there, I see the light slowly droop out of the window, as though it was water draining from a fish tank. I'm baffled, so I call the supervisor a while later. Turns out there's a hill that the sun has to set behind, and it's all rocky. So the sun occasionally lines up enough to just light up that top floor window. I had an emotional moment when I got a bad family call about a close cousin of mine that lived in Florida. I lost my energy to finish the trip by the time I got to Tallahassee. I was driving from the northern Midwest. I decided in my smart brain that I'd start my drive late night so that the sun would be high by the time I got back home. I messed up. As I passed through the back roads of southern Georgia, I rounded a corner and from a distance I saw what looked like fire in the tree line further down. I immediately think the clan. F. So I take a split second to think, should I reroute my GPS and avoid this? And then I think of every movie where someone picks up their phone and immediately crashes and dies, or has their unconscious body dragged away to some shack in the woods. Then I'm just gonna gun it through. Aye, around the bend, where the fire is. And it's like everything slowed down as I see a handful of people no more than five with those weird rubber masks from the cheap costume shops, but other than that are ass naked. They all watch me pass them. They're standing practically in the fire. One of them has a large stick engulfed in fire. Before this, I was worried I'd get pulled over by some douchebag for driving a Civic from up north through the back roads of a southern state. 
I knew they would assume I'm a drug runner. At this point, I ran out of F's to give. I almost rather take my chance with a cop with the wrong idea. I floored it for miles. I'm sure I jumped a few hills, 